So this morning, um, we're in the fourth letter. Uh, Jim will be preaching from the fourth letter uh, in Revelations. But before we begin, um, the scriptures are not going to be shown on the screen. So I would just ask that you sit back and allow me to uh, read these two passages over you. The first is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. <clears throat> Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust as well. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. And now in Revelations 2, uh, verses 18 through 29, the letter to the church at Theatira. And to the angel of the church in Theatira write, the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like burnished bronze says this, I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But if I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bond servants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast upon her a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds." But I say to you, the rest who are in Theatira, who do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. And he who overcomes, and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces as I also have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is God's word. Thank you, brother. Before I break open the word this morning, I um, would love to just give uh, many of you that have been praying for Andrea and I uh, just our words of appreciation and thanks. Maybe you have not heard, but Andrea's father uh, went to meet uh, his Savior, Jesus, yesterday morning. And although we knew the time was coming, uh, it always comes as a surprise. Uh, and it's during those moments that we have an opportunity uh, to not only grieve a loss, but to also to give thanks to God. Uh, so we want to encourage you um, to give thanks with us as we praise God for his goodness and his kindness to us. Um, he lived to be 83, almost 84 years. His birthday would have been November the, the, I think the 15th or the 13th? The 13th, November 13th would have been his birthday. Um, uh, Mackenzie, our, our middle son, we were FaceTiming with, uh, with, with our kids yesterday. They are right now in Poland. And uh, Mackenzie said, you know, it's interesting because mom and dad, my, my wife's parents, mom and dad, for the first time yesterday, for the first time ever, saw one another for who they truly were meant to be in Christ. 
It's hard to hear your kids talk like that sometimes, by the way. You're grateful for it, but it's just like, wow, who raised you? And then I remembered their mom did. <laughs> a lot of you have asked how Andrea is doing, and I'll tell you, she really is doing well because of the hope that she has in Jesus, the hope that she has in Jesus, and then the hope that, uh, that mom and dad shared with her in that, with us in that. And so it's, it's interesting how, as I stand before you this morning and I preach to you the good news that comes from the Word of God, uh, it, it, it comes, I won't even say with a heavy heart, with a sober heart, a sober heart. Because there's one thing I have learned, it's this, and hopefully I've learned more than one thing, but if there's one thing I've learned, it's this, that crisis, that difficulties And that adversity in a broken world actually helps us see God better. Think about that. Crisis, adversity, hardship actually can help us see God better. And if if the word see is is kind of hard because that seems too, uh, too figurative, then let me put it this way. It helps us deal with him better. Because if it wasn't for adversity or crisis, I think it would be really easy for you and I to just kind of skip through life and not be aware of what is happening around us. A number of years ago, I was just driving on the Santa Monica Freeway. I was taking my nephew, who had been visiting with us as a family, taking him to LAX to put him on an airplane to send him back home. And we're just driving down the Santa Monica Freeway and just enjoying ourselves. And I I still remember the song that we were listening to. And we were just enjoying ourselves, and I wasn't paying attention that the traffic was slowing down, and, and I wasn't. And then all of a sudden, reality struck us, and I had to deal with things. And I, I just remember thinking, wow, like just a moment ago, we're singing songs, we're enjoying ourselves on our way to the airport, and now everything has changed. Everything has changed. No one was hurt. Very grateful for that. But, but it, it, it's not like we didn't know that accidents happen. It, it's not like we thought that somehow we would never have an accident. But just literally moments before, we're just driving down the Santa Monica Freeway, singing a David Crowder song. And the next thing you know, this interruption um, really helps us to just realize that life is, is not always just, just driving 60 miles an hour. No, sometimes there are, uh, there are interruptions, there are, there are accidents, there are mishaps. I don't know what you do with those. Um, I don't know if um, when accidents happen, when mishaps happen, when, uh, when missteps happen, when, when sin happens. Like, I don't know what your response is. But the Bible actually teaches that God, the revelation really teaches, that God, in fact, somehow in his sovereignty and in his goodness over all of these things, uses them to get our attention, to wake us up. We're just going through Revelation 2 and 3. But if we had been walking all the way through it, you will actually find after the blowing of the trumpets, you'd think a trumpet would wake people up. But after the final trumpet blows, it it says this. The trumpets, by the way, are the judgments of God. 
And then it says this, and then even after these judgments, the people did not repent. They, they did not turn from their wickedness. They, they did not sober up. But in the end, they doubled down. That's my translation of that section in, Rome, in uh, Revelation, 8, Revelation 9. And then it's said again in Revelation 16, when the, the bowls, the final judgments of God, God are poured out, you actually will see the same phrase. And, and yet, after all this, it says, after all this, after all the warnings, people did not repent of their wickedness. So crisis might be that which God uses to sober us up, to make us aware of the brokenness that already exists. See, that's the part that is so amazing. Um, Andrea and I knew yesterday that people passed away. When we woke up in the morning, we knew that happened. It just had never happened to Andrea in the sense of her father, but we knew it happened. Her mom passed away just three years ago. So we knew it happened, but it hadn't happened yet to her dad. And, and then when it happened, and, and, and that's what's so interesting about how the Bible comes to us. It, it doesn't just give us new information. It gives us information that we know, but it makes us deal with it. It makes us deal with God. And that's why it's really, I think, critical that on a regular basis we gather together as the people of God to remind one another and to be reminded by one another that God is, as Jeff pointed out this morning, that Jesus Christ is, and that you and I are living in a broken and a troubled world. And yet, God is good. God is kind. God is gracious. And in the midst of our brokenness, He wants to speak that to us. And, and so we find this regular pattern. What I want to do this morning, actually, is I want to just share with you, I want to just share with you four, when I say words, it's not just a single word, it's four sentences, four statements that Jesus makes to these churches. One of the things and one of the reasons why I love having others that can actually preach, um, uh, when we, we give opportunities to have different voices, one of the things that's really, really helpful is the amount of redundancy that can actually happen in these seven letters. Listening to Ryan's message uh, from Mexico last week just reminded me, wow, this is going to, he, he told me this was going to happen. He said, you do know that the church, the letter to the church at Pergamum and the letter to the church at Thyatira, you do know that those have a lot of overlap. And I don't want to step on your toes, meaning in my sermon. And I said, no, 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 because sometimes it's good to be reminded. And there's a lot of reminding that is going to happen this morning. Now, this part is actually different. The first words that Jesus speaks to these Christians in Thyatira, which is not a, it's not a city of importance. Interestingly enough, unlike Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamum, all cities that had commercial value, that had um, almost like strategic military value, economic value, Thyatira didn't. Yeah, there was a, it was like a blue-collar town. It was smaller. It, it didn't have the significance. It was actually known um, as a, a way that you stop along the way to where you're going. And although the city had very little importance, the church had great significance. The words that Jesus speaks to this church are the longest of any of the other churches. He speaks these powerful words, and he says this to them, 
in verse 19. I know your works. And then he goes on to describe it. I know your works, your love, your faithfulness, your service, and your endurance. I know that your last works are greater than the first. That's the description that Jesus gives of this church. Again, not just reminding that he knows. He begins, like most of the letters do, with these words of, um, of, of praise, of commendation. Not just awareness. But Jesus says, like, I, I know your, your works. That word's going to come up later in the letter. But I know your works, and then it lists them. What, what you and I usually like to do when we see a list is we like to break it down into its individual parts, define each of those, and then work on them. I mean, that's what we at least are usually taught to do. So I know your works. I know your love. Um, okay, so what is love? Love is uh, caring for one another, and love is, and, and what is faith? Well, faith is, is believing or, or trusting in, and what is, um, what is service? Service is, 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 that, is that how we do it? Is that how we understand this? Is that how we break this down? And the answer is no. I don't believe that all of these are to be broken down as much as they are to just to fit together, to build on one another. We actually see that what Jesus sees is what we do on a regular basis. And so it is love. And it, it, the word faith actually literally probably is better translated faithfulness. It, it's not about just this trust that we might have in Jesus, but it is about remaining true to that, remaining faithful, faithfulness, which then always kind of naturally lives out itself in our service to one another. Uh, today, we had an opportunity to give uh, to have, have appreciation for our ministers. Well, the, the English word minister comes from a term that just literally means like servant. The, the, the minister is the one who, who serves. And so the word, you, you can kind of get the, where, the, where the idea comes from. The Greek word is diakone, service, like a deacon. Someone who, out of a love for God and a love for one another, is faithful in their service. Do you see how they build on one another? Love faithfully into service. And, and then this is the last idea that Jesus says, for how long? And the answer is, until I come again. Love and faithfulness and service and endurance. Um, sometimes that word is actually translated to patiently endure. It appears, surprise, surprise, this is a favorite number in the book of Revelation, it appears seven times. Like John is reminding these Christians, John is reminding these followers of Jesus that to be faithful, to be loving, to genuinely serve is not something that happens short term, but it is a long lasting commitment. I'm, I'm kind of in a reminiscent mood. Can you just forgive me or not forgive me? Which either way? This morning, Andrew and I were having coffee, and I was just being reminded of, I believe by the Spirit, reminded of just some of the last moments that we actually had with her parents. And the last one we had with them when they were visiting here was about four or five years ago. And I didn't know how many more times we would have. I didn't realize that it was actually going to be our last time here in Stillwater. I took their daughter in 1991 away from them 
left Calgary and we moved to, uh, as missionaries to the United States of America. We heard that you needed missionaries, and so we answered God's call. We heard that, uh, where, who, Lord, who will, where, who's going to go for us? And I, send me, Lord. And so we, we came down here, and we've been serving as missionaries in Stillwater since, uh, since 2004. But we moved to the States in 1991. And we got married just a few years previous to that, and so clearly for almost, you know, the last 30 years or so, we've just gone home to visit them. I didn't know how many more times that we would have, and so I got, thought it was just probably appropriate, and I, I said to them, I just want you to know, um, I, I still not only love, but I'm still committed to your daughter. Like, I, I still commit to take care of her and to provide for her. That that whole that stuff I said when, when I was really, really young and you guys didn't know or didn't believe that I knew what I was getting myself into, uh, more her than me didn't know what she was getting herself into, like I'm still in it. Th- those aren't just words that I say, like I, I'm, I'm still in it. And they, they looked at me and, and they said, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate you. I just, I couldn't help but think about that. The commitment that Jesus asks us to give to him. Yes, it involves love. Steve said this, God's love is the most powerful force in the universe. I don't know if he was quoting somebody else, but I mean, I I, I got what he was saying. Think about that for a moment. What do you mean by love as a force? How is love a force? Like, I thought love was just an emotion. Yeah? It's... It's an emotion that causes things. God's love for us. For God so loved the world, John, who wrote the Revelation, wrote this. For God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us so that no one would perish. That everyone who believes in him would have life and not death What caused that? And the answer is, the Bible says this repeatedly, it's love. It's love that compels. It's love that activates. It's love that motivates. That's what we mean by love as a powerful force. And Jesus says, I know you. And he commends them. I, I know your, your love, which then leads you to be faithful. And, and, and that faithfulness, which then drives you to serve, to, uh, to care for, to put someone else's needs above your own, to put God's mission above my own desires and wants. And for how long? Until Jesus comes back. Crisis reveals, and then this is the part that makes it really complicated, is that sometimes what we end up finding when God reveals things is like a, a brokenness in us. Like it, it's, not like it, uh, it, it's not like it only reveals good things. It reveals what's really there. And sometimes in the midst of pain, instead of it being, wow, I really, I I look at Andrea, it's been really interesting to hear her talk and to hear her weep um, and and, and to be there and yet to see the hope that she has 
Um, and I, I've said to her, I don't know how many times over the last few years, wow, you really do believe this stuff, don't you, babe? She does. Like, she really believes it. And can I just say that her believing it helps me believe it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Her believing it really helps me believe it. I guess I'm really grateful for the fact that what really is inside of her is true. It's being revealed. Do you know what you're really like? Do you know what you're really like on the inside? I, I, I had not read this particular book or actually seen the movie, which was the recreation of the book. It was done in the 80s. But it was written by a, uh, by a Russian writer who wanted to play around with the idea, what if there was a, a place where when you walked into this place, they called it the room. When you walked into the room, that the room had in it, if you were to dare to walk into it, it, it had like your greatest desires and your greatest wants there for you, for you to actualize, materialize right there. And, and all of a sudden, what's really going on inside of you, what you really, really want, what you really, really love, well, there it is. And, and there is this, this guide that is taking these two individuals and on this journey to the room. And they come upon it. And the guide says, are you, are you ready? Are you ready to, to find out what's really on the inside of you? Are you ready to find out what your greatest love is? And in that moment, both of these two people who had been on this long journey began to hesitate. Here was their thought. If in that room is what I really, really, really want, what if I don't know what I really want? I'm about to find out reality. I'm about to find out the truth. And, and what if I really want isn't what I think I really want? What if there is something in my subconscious? They're not trying to play some weird matrix game. I think you know what they're talking about. Do you know what to say when I ask questions like, what's the most important thing in the world? Do you know to say, God is? Do you, you know what to say. And what's more important than the glory of God? And we all say what? Nothing is more important than the glory of God. We know what to say. Is that what you really think? Is that what you really want? Is that what you really desire? If I could take you to the room... Would you want to see inside of it? Would you want to know? See, that's what the revelation does. The revelation, and it comes not through a magic room. It just comes through a very real Jesus. Who says, I love you. And I love you so much that I am wanting to reveal to you, to make known to you, whether you even ask for it or not. The truth about you. The real truth about you. The author said this, not many people can confront the truth about themselves. Not many people can confront the truth about themselves. And maybe that's why 
time. We don't get to pick exactly how life goes for us. Because I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, pick the life that I have lived. Uh, there are so many changes that I would have made. So many obstacles I would have removed. So many um, adversaries I, I wish just never were in my path. And yet it is by God's grace that they have been placed there. Obstacles, adversaries, difficulties, and hardships. To remind me on a, I wish it happened, do I wish it happened daily? I, I, I want to wish that it happened daily. Um, a constant reminder, you're not God, you're not in control, you need him more than you know. And in the midst of that, what I really learn is I learn to love and I learn to continue to trust and I learn to serve and I learn to do it for the rest of my life. And, and that's what everyday life is like. Not, not just in the Bible, that is what everyday life is like. It is Jesus Christ knowing our works, our love and our faithfulness and our service until the end, our endurance to the very, very end um, I, I don't know where you're at, but I, I guarantee you in a room of this size, and I think this is what is happening right now to the church in Thyatira, I think a number of them are just getting tired. A number of them, I don't know how much longer they can do it. Have you, are, have you felt that? I just don't know how much longer I can do this. I don't know how much longer I can remain faithful. I don't know how much longer I can continue to love. I don't know how much longer I can continue to serve and Jesus says, listen to this, Jesus says, I know. That's not just I know, it's a beside you, I know, I know. And that's why Jesus promises and gives us his spirit. If, if churches have like a, a, an alter ego, the church at Ephesus would have been the alter ego for the church at Thyatira. The church at Ephesus knew how to be doctrinally pure and really, really struggled with what that love looked like, which means that they weren't being faithful. They have to repent. It means that there's something that is broken. They're definitely not serving one another. And, and yet you have this church in Thyatira. And although there's a lot to commend them for, we actually get this rather strong statement. It almost comes surprisingly. I know your works, and I know you're even growing in your works. Isn't it fascinating that we can be growing in our love and in our faithfulness? We can be growing in our service. We can be growing even in our endurance. And yet, look at what it says there in verse 20, and yet I have this against you. I have this against you. It's, it's interesting because I, I don't think any one thing would be in that room. I think as we reveal, as we kind of peel away what is going on inside of our hearts and inside of our minds, what we actually find are layers. And, and yes, there is a, a lot of good in us. There is these wonderful works that Jesus commends, and, and yet, that's how the text says, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. How can you have it all together and yet be so far away? 
And, and the answer is that sometimes in the midst of the reality of life, not only do things not appear like they really are on the outside, but we don't have the ability, apart from God's Spirit revealing, apart from God's Word confronting, we don't have the ability to see things the way they really are. That's why we need a revelation. Have you ever met a Jezebel? I mean that literally. Have you ever met someone with the name Jezebel? I never have. Somehow, surprisingly, that name isn't used anymore. And, and yet, there was at least one time in which a little girl came into the world and the father and the mother looked over this little girl. What are we going to call her? Let's call her Jezebel. And it probably seemed like a good idea at the time. Not knowing that in some ways she's there's not going to be a lot more. Well, there'll be a lot more like her, but there may not be a lot more named after her. Jezebel is just one of those names. It's kind of like Gomer in the Bible, right? It's just not a name that you actually hear much. And why? And, and it is because Jezebel in 1 Kings chapter 6, chapter 7, Jezebel in chapter 17 and 18 and 19, and then finally in 25, Jezebel is someone who is notorious for wanting to deceive, wanting to undermine, wanting to confront and oppose the ways and the prophets of God. She's got another agenda. And what I find fascinating is this church that knows how to love and knows how to be faithful and knows how to serve and knows how to, to do it and to maintain it, somehow they lost the ability to discern yeah, to the church that we see in Ephesus, they didn't tolerate wickedness. Last week, Ryan taught us that God is one of the most, if not the most, I, I guess that would be true. He is the most intolerant being in the universe. God does not tolerate sin. Don't, don't confuse his patience or his long-suffering with tolerance. Tolerance is, that's okay. I'm not going to do anything. Bearing with or persistence is, I'm going to do something, but for now, I call you to repent. The second one is of God, but the first one, that's what we do in the name of love, is that we look at brokenness and we look at sin, and instead of seeing it for what it really is, we, we decide to... Um, to make it look pretty. We decide to flower it up. We decide and we come up with a bunch of different reasons, right? Well, I did want to say something, but you know, I, I didn't want there to be a problem. I, I just wanted them to know that I love them. I just wanted them to know that I care. I just wanted to be there to support them. And, and you and I have a long list of reasons of why we don't do what God calls us to do. What you actually see in, in this text this morning um, is that Jesus says, as like Ryan reminded us last week with the church at Pergamum, no matter what you and I decide to do with the brokenness that exists in this world and the sin that exists even in this room, in ourselves, and I loved Ryan's reminder that it really begins speck in not my eye, 
Take the log out of my own eyes so I can see the speck in yours. That's the way it begins. But it is intended so that I can actually help you. I can actually call you. I can actually be there to encourage you to remain faithful. And and yet so often, you and I get lulled into this sense of, well, what I'm really trying to do is, you know, one of the most interesting words that comes up repeatedly in the book of Revelation, it's, it's found actually surprise, surprisingly, not surprisingly, like in the final chapters. In, in 21, there is a list of people that are not found in heaven. And you know what the list is? The cowardly. The cowardly. Not just the sexually immoral. The cowardly. And I'm just thinking to myself, Really? Like of all the terrible things in the world? Like coward? And the answer is yes. Those who are cowardly. See, that that one actually hits closer to home for me because I, I know what it's like to have people that I love making choices that I don't agree with and me trying to find, I want to say a reason, but the better word is an excuse to not deal with it. And Jesus says, I find this amazing, Jesus actually says two things. First one is this, I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with this. But before he comes and deals with this Jezebel that the church doesn't want to deal with, he actually calls her to repentance. Isn't that interesting? Jesus doesn't just say, I'm coming for you. He calls Jezebel herself to repent. And those who are following after, he calls them to repent. But then he makes it very, very clear, I just want you to know That I am not tolerant of sin and I don't just look the other way and I don't come up with excuses. No, like I died to forgive and to redeem all that is broken and all that is sinful. And that which is not covered by my blood will be dealt with by my wrath. Do you know that? The sin that exists in us is worked out in one of two ways. It is either forgiven by the blood of Christ, where Jesus Christ himself, out of his love for us, pays the penalty for our sin, or else we choose to face his wrath. And it's for that reason that the church looks at those people who are sinful and sinning And say out of love and out of faithfulness and out of service to the very end. This is sin. This is wrong. This is broken. We call people to repentance. It begins by us confessing our own sin. It, It begins by us recognizing that we are in need of a Savior. And then it moves us to engage one another in this active Submitting and loving and speaking and hearing the truth about ourselves in such a way that that we become more like Jesus. Now, by the way, the the Bible never contradicts itself, but I want you to look at the the, the verse 23 of Revelation 2. And I don't know if this will surprise you, because I I, I think that when, when preachers actually say the opposite of this, Jesus actually says, are you ready for this? I will give to each of you according to your works. 
How many of you actually knew that you were saved by your works? And that the Bible actually teaches that. Okay, what are you talking about? No, 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 no. We're saved by grace. No, I, here's what's true. Are you ready for this? We are totally saved by the grace of God. We are totally saved by believing in him, not from works so that no one could boast. That is what Paul said. But I don't think Paul doesn't believe in Jesus. So therefore, verse 23 actually says, listen to this, I will strike your children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts. Literally, that minds and hearts is literally hearts and kidneys. They understood this heart-mind thing. There really is no Hebrew word, no, no really understanding of like all up here. They felt like everything was happening in here, which is kind of what's going on in this anyway. Whenever you're in love, where do you feel it? I feel it in here. Whenever you're anxious, where do you feel it? I feel it in here. Jesus says, like, I, 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 I cut you, I, I see you open. I cut you open, and I can reveal what is actually there. And so that is why Jesus actually says, I will give to each of you. I will reward each of you, good or bad, according to your works. So hear me. This doesn't mean that if you're good enough that somehow Jesus owes you. That's the kind of salvation we cannot earn by our works. But the Bible actually teaches that we, we are what we love. We, we become what we love. And Jezebel was leading people astray. Jezebel was leading people into sexual immorality or at least spiritual infidelity. And they were having what they wanted. I love to say to people, and when I do, hope you know I'm always trying to deal with this myself, don't worry, you'll get what you really want. Don't worry, you just keep doing what you're doing, you'll get what you really want. That's kind of what the idea of the room is. It's kind of what the idea of the Bible constantly teaches us. In the end, we really do get what we ultimately want. And the question is, do we really want Jesus? Jesus actually says, I will give to each of you according to your works. And the works of the church at Thyatira are love and faithfulness and service and patient endurance. It's literally finding out who you are in your everyday life, who you are when people are looking and not looking. And Jesus says, I know. And Jesus calls us to keep persistently confronting that which is still broken in us, that which we are cowardly about. And by the way, it might be the sin in yourself. It might be the sin in someone else. Somebody asked me the other day, what does it actually mean to tolerate sin? It's excusing it. Um... I've made this quite known. I decided to go off all social media back in July of 2020. I don't know if I've ever really said exactly all the reasons why, but one of the reasons why it became increasingly difficult for me to, to watch conversations happening that just weren't Christian. And sometimes they were my own. And they were former students of mine and people in this church. It became very, very, is it difficult for you to just watch people like things on Facebook that you know are sinful? Well, I just want to support them. I just want them to know I care. Thumbs up. 
it, it really became almost too much for me to know. I, I'm, I'm really realizing that I need a smaller circle of knowledge. I, I have a really hard time with the weight of knowing everybody. I really do need fewer friends so that I could really be a friend. So Jesus says, I know your works, and I will reward you according to those works. So hear me, you can't be good enough that Jesus owes you, but you also can't respond to him in any other way but faithful obedience. That's what he's talking about. And then Jesus says, as he concludes, and this is really all I ask, and to the one who responds, I will actually give the right to rule with me. I will reward you. He says this, all I ask that you do is just hold on until I come. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't ask them to change the world. He doesn't ask them to like fix everything. I I love the fact that what Jesus really calls us to do is to just care for those that are around us, to love those that are around us, to serve those that are around us. He didn't ask us to save the world and to solve all the problems. I I know that's, that's kind of what I want to do, or at least pretend that's what I want to do. But Jesus actually says, isn't this interesting? All I'm asking you to do is just to hold on and to hold tight until the end. I don't know if you need to hear this this morning, but I want to give you the freedom in the room to not save the world or to fix the world, but to look at the world that God has called you into and then ask, what does it look like for me to faithfully love and serve to the end? That is our call this morning. Everyday faithfulness for the glory of God, the benefit of others, and our greatest joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you have revealed about yourself and what you have revealed about us. Father, lead us in your truth. It's in Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen.